0: This is K Radio and this is Patty Holstrand and we're on live today. We're going to be on live with Anna Questerly. She is a fiction author. Her story is fantasy, a tale, an adventure. Anna Questerly lives in Phoenix, Arizona with her husband and their two quarter collies. When she's not writing, you can often find her at her favorite bookstore, Dog Gear Pages in Phoenix. Anna says she's a minstrel at heart, although she cannot sing, dance, or play an instrument. She enjoys writing stories. She has always wanted to be a writer since the sixth grade, when she first read J.R.R. R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. She dabbled with half-finished novels for many years, but never settled down to write serious until last year. Anna's debut novel is sold internationally, Besides working on her no- next novel be number two, Anna teaches writing workshops for young people. She loves to visit schools and talk about writing and encourages young people to read more and to begin their writing careers while they are still young. Good afternoon. Anna, are you there? Yes. Hi, Patty. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. How about you? I'm good. Does anybody else to know... Um, we were talking about, I mean, we have some similarities about your age group. Was, uh, I also started writing in the seventh grade. So we have some things in common. Uh, oh,
1: wonderful.
0: It seems to me, and, and I've been noticing this a lot more lately and and have been looking this up, is that uh, a lot more of us writers uh, that are writing later in life, have you noticed that? Oh,
2: yes. Oh, yes. We see a lot of we see a lot of writers here at the store here at the bookstore, and um, it seems that many of them are doing this as a, a second vocation,
0: or a vocation that they lost when they were younger and should have done,
2: <laughs> or just something they always meant to do. You know, always yeah. wanted to try, and you know, life kind of gets in the way there for a while. So, when you get the opportunity, maybe after retirement or. Once the kids are all grown and out of the house, that was, you know, kind of my time to be able to write. It gives you a little bit more time and energy to do things that you uh, would like to have done.
0: That is definitely true. Uh, it's interesting that you you loved fantasy at a young age, so that seems to have, uh, you know, molded you into uh, fantasy authors. Do you think that's the case, or is it something else?
2: Well, it is a little bit of that. I... I fell in love with um, The Hobbit in sixth grade when one of my teachers gave it to me and just wanted so bad to be able to create a world that you could just disappear into like that. And I love reading all genres, whether it's mystery or romance or science fiction or fantasy or historical fiction or the literature, you know, the great old stories, but pretty much all of it. But when you can really just sink your teeth into a whole other world and disappear for a little while and forget about everything here... It's kind of
1: fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, now that I've been writing, I don't think I get much time to read. Uh, do you have too much enough time to read lately?
2: I don't. Since since we opened the bookstore, um, we're open seven days a week. So the two days I have off a week are spent writing more than reading. So I actually have less time to read than I did before we opened the bookstore.
0: <laughs> and, here, and here you're surrounded by them. I
2: know it's like you know if you're if you're in a chocolate factory and you can't eat anything it's terrible it's terrible
0: yeah that that would be awful wouldn't it it uh, is it's a
2: terrible <laughs> terrible punishment be careful what you ask for ah wow. there you go there
0: you go so give us a little bit of introduction I mean I introduced you know some things about you but uh, a little more about you know where you came from uh, you know how did you get started writing. Uh, what was your inspiration
2: there okay well i 'm um, originally from Maryland, back on the East Coast. We moved to Phoenix about eleven years ago, and I love Phoenix. love the weather, but I do miss the Maryland crabs and mm-hmm. the seafood from the east coast um, started trying to write back when my when my kids were younger, and I had three three little ones and they were you know they were a handful, so it really didn 't get too much. Finished. I would start, stop, start, stop, start something else and never was ever able to really actually finish a story or a book and got very discouraged about it. And now my daughter, who's all grown up now, she's actually an editor and she gave me some really good advice. She says, why don't you try writing short stories, Mom? You've got the you know att- attention span to finish a short story. I'm like, yeah, you know I do. So I started writing some short little fairy tale-like stories, and you know, dragons and princesses and zombies and trolls and all kinds of stuff like that, and really enjoyed doing that, and that's where I got the idea of putting those into a store into a narrative form, similar to the Arabian Nights, where there's a narrative story that has the fairy tales embedded within it, so it's kind of like a story within a story. And that turned out and worked really well for The Minstrel's Tale. So that was probably my um, my epiphany for writing, was if you can actually sit down and finish one, it definitely gives you the impetus to go on and finish another and another and another. And it's kind of addicting in a good way.
0: Yeah, I, I would say that I've had some people say that running is the same way. Once you get started running, you... The endorphins kick in and you want to keep running.
2: Well, uh, I wouldn't know my dad runs and my sister runs, but I only run if someone's chasing me. So <laughs> I would have to take their advice on that. Their advice on that.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I said, that's it's kind of the same feeling that we get where we start getting on a roll on a, in a, in a scene that we start typing and then suddenly it just, you know, we go crazy. We, we can't stop until we get the scene done.
2: That's right. It's, it's very exciting. It's, you know, almost like you're reading it in your mind, but you have to slow down enough to actually get it on paper. And it is it is very exciting when when that comes.
0: And, of course, only fiction authors understand that. So that's Probably,
2: probably. <laughs> It'd be hard to write an accounting book and get that feeling. Yeah, I don't see it happening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Some accountants get pretty excited about that stuff. <laughs> yes, they do. They do so any any writing quirks that you have
2: well there there are a few, yeah, I like I said, I have a hard time you know keeping that attention span where it needs to be in order to focus on what I'm trying to do, so I found that if I keep all the books that I've read and really love are at my house, but new books ah. aren't allowed in my house, and there's no cable t v at my house, and there's no internet. And on my writing days, I can either clean or I can write because there's nothing else to do at my house. So, yeah, that kind of keeps me focused. So I try to keep my my writing space just as barren as it can be as far as any distractions. And that really does help me, believe it or not.
0: Yeah, I can imagine it would. And it's something that... um... I thought about it before it's like well, I wonder what happened if I just turn off all the email and everything and probably I should get
2: something done yeah. <laughs> well and I always just you remember the old show with Ray Bradbury when it would come mm-hmm. on and it was a picture of his desk and his office yeah, and he's yeah. like where do people get their people always ask where I get my ideas and he's got all these little tchotchkes and and statues and books and everything around his office and I'm thinking that's what that's what a writer's office should look like so you know before, yeah. when I would try to write, I would set up something along those lines, and I would get so distracted that I'd never actually get any writing done. So I found just the opposite works for me. I almost need a, a, a an empty room with my laptop in there and maybe a reference book or two that I'm using at the time and keep everything else out of the way. So I've taken over the dining room because there's really nothing else in the dining room. And, and I can keep that pretty well cleared off and, and no... No distractions there. But, yeah, that's my quirk. I, I need um, I need that empty space.
0: So you've wanted to write for a long time. Uh, you were sixth grade when you started writing. So did you start writing poems, or did you start writing short stories, or what, what was it that you started?
2: Oh, no. No, Patty, I wanted to write a book. I wanted oh. to write a book as sort as the habit from sixth grade on, and that's where, that's... <laughs> I think that was a big part of the problem, you know I just wanted to to get that much of a book finished and and make it great and write the great American novel in the fantasy genre and you know that's pretty hard to for a sixth grader to do. That's pretty hard for a seventh grader to do as a matter of fact, that's pretty hard for anybody to do, and my hat's off to Tolkien <laughs> because You know, it's very discouraging when you start a project like that and realize, well, I don't know these things. How did he do that? And there's so much to learn. And so, like I said, when my daughter suggested, why don't you write the short stories? And that really helped get the creative juices flowing, helped me to finish something. And and then once I had about a dozen of those finished, then it was a lot easier to to write a longer story, which is all a novel is. It's just a longer story, and and put those in there. So Not everybody, yeah.
0: I, I find not everybody is organized in their head to write a, a long book. As you know, I, I read a, a lot of manuscripts, and thing, one thing that I see often is that people lose track of what it is they need to, you know, what did they say earlier? And... <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, it's like. oh my
2: name. What? what did I call that person? What color was her eye? What color were her eyes? Yeah, yeah. I've got lots of little, um, lots of little notes in my um, in my notebook that that keep kind of all that squared away for me because you don't want to have her hair blonde in one scene and you know black in another or vice versa, and you do want to keep all the names the same.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's of course one good reason why you have an editor.
2: Yes, and I've been blessed with a, a few great editors. So
0: <laughs> I have one who who's gone through the whole series because and that's good. Because I have the spellings of uh, some birds' names different in book one, then suddenly in book three, I messed it up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, it happens, I think that would happen to everybody in my in my book. You know, it takes place over in uh, Europe, in France, and England. And one of my fairy tale stories is about a hummingbird and bumblebee war. And I didn't realize until after the book was all finished that there aren't any hummingbirds in Europe. Never have been. I was surprised to learn that, but there's none in any hemisphere but ours. But, of course, there were no dragons and there were no trolls in England and France either. So I think I'm okay.
0: Yeah. So the thing is that that's going to bring me another question at research um does you you have to even though there's no hummingbirds in Europe you're thinking well if there are no hummingbirds now would, were there any hummingbirds you know to the historically for you um to be able to use and so you have to you know even even though you're you're altering history or you're making up a world you still have to have some rules
2: Oh you do. And the research was the research was a lot of fun. It was I found some great books. Of course, you know, having a bookstore really helped there. And it turned out that when I was in the middle of this project, the first draft of this project, a gentleman walks into the bookstore. He's also writing a book and we start chatting and talking. Turns out he's a retired English medieval history professor. Oh wow. And so it was just perfect timing and he sent me over, he just brought me over so many source materials and showed me, here's what, you know, I'm writing about 1376 in England and in France and what's going on there, and he's just giving me every bit of material that I could ever hope to, to use and helping me when, um, when I had him read my book the first time, you know, and I have a fork on the table, well, you know I put a fork on the table because we all had forks on the table, and you know back then they didn't have forks on the table so <laughs> it was it was you know really it was really fun to kind of live in the fourteenth century, and I'm still there a little bit working on book three and getting to getting your head in in that environment it's it's been a lot of fun doing that, and you know tom is my my husband's just as patient as can be. He's he's just fortunate that I haven't tried to cook him anything from the 14th century yet. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say.
0: Well, you know, you could always put it in a big pot and and stick it underground and and cook it. That's that's always a a fun thing to do.
2: Oh, I could do that. But I do have recipes from the 14th century, and they look pretty interesting, except half the ingredients I I really am not sure what they are. (laughs) Yeah,
0: okay. Yeah, that'd be interesting to see.
2: Yeah, I think it would be kind of fun. Yeah.
0: So uh, obviously, you write fantasy, and and based on what you've said so far, is because that's that was what you read first that where you had the spark of love. You loved fantasy, and that's of course what why you write that. Is there any other uh, options for you that you know of that you'd like to get into uh, any other genre?
2: Well, I love, and I, I kind of mix the historical fiction with the fantasy in my books, oh, and, yeah. and I like that. And I think the next series that I'm going to work on is um, a little bit of time travel, with a little, uh, still an element of fantasy with the historical fiction. I really enjoyed the, um, the 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 research of those time periods. I really enjoy incorporating a little bit of the magic in there. But what I found with historical fiction, especially in book two that I'm writing, which took place during the Peasants' Revolt in England, and you kind of see this, history kind of repeats itself. You see some of the same ideas going on right now with the Occupy Wall Street movement, and you're just like, wow, that's just so strange, because that's exactly how it started in England with the Peasants' Revolt in 1381. Yeah. So it it is kind of fun to to study history and see how you know things were then and how similar or different they are right now. So I and think I'll just keep combining those two genres. And
0: how we're always doomed to repeat it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm going to do a little business here and let everybody know that the call in number is seven one four two four two five one four five seven one four two four two. 5145 and you can call in live. Also, we have a chat open, so if you're listening to this right now, you have a chat open. I know you guys are sitting there listening because you always do. So, don't be a stranger. Come in and say hi or, you know, give us a question. Otherwise, you're stuck with what I ask her.
1: <laughs>
0: so, okay. Do so I get that? Um the question would be, who your favorite author is? I mean, obviously, we we kind of know you already brought up two people.
2: You know, there's so many. There are so many authors. Um, I love Stephen King, Mark Twain, J.K. Rowling, Robert Louis Stevenson, H.P. Lovecraft, Edgar Allan Poe. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. I Books are my life. Reading has always been a very large part of my life, and now I have a bookstore. And every day I seem to find a new author that I fall in love with, Jim Butcher. I just read one of his books for the first time, and I'm really enjoying it. And every day, every day there's a new one. Did you get a chance to meet him when he was here? I didn't. No, I had never read one of his books before. Oh, yeah. And I had so many people come in and and order his book and, and, you know, pick up his book. And they're all, you know, some of the people that I I know pretty well. I know their reading habits. I know they're similar to mine. And they're like, oh, gosh, I love him. I love him so much. His books are so fun. And he's a really good writer. He's got great descriptions and and great characters. And it's just a lot of fun to read his book.
0: He's also a really great guy. He's a lot of fun to to, uh, talk to and to listen to. And I I find... I find that uh, when I meet an author, I learn more about their writing and about their story when I meet them. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree.
2: <laughs>
0: yep. And so, I'm mean, I'm a longtime fan, so <laughs> <laughs> I, I've met a lot of authors, and so some of them is like, I, I'm going, you know what? I like your story, but I don't like you. You know, right, right. And I have a few of those. It's like you know what? I, it's real shame because I really would like your story, I think, but I just don't like you personally. So it's like I, I don't want to touch your stuff because it's like, well, there's something in there. Obviously, I don't uh, don't if I don't don't like the person, and and the other way around too. If I really like the person, then I get into their writing and you know, reading their story, and I'll pick them up for the first time mm-hmm. and say, wow, okay, this is a whole new world, you know, I can get into. So it's fun. It's fun to meet people. Absolutely. So
2: what does your family think about your writing? Oh, I have the most wonderful family in the world. <laughs> my um, my son is just so thrilled that I, I finally finished some stories. He remembers some of the ones that I wrote when he was younger. And all he kept saying is, Mom, finish it, finish it, finish it. You know? And I never actually did. So he was very excited that I finished the first story. And then my daughter... Just knowing that I had someone with her editorial skills that could go over my work and, and make sure it was presentable to you know to the public and, and it wasn't going to embarrass me was just a load off my mind she She's a wonderful, wonderful writer herself, and she just worked so hard on my first book she really, really did and then my my husband tom he is my harshest critic. But he also is my biggest supporter. I mean, he'll read something through. And he's like, "This just isn't right," you know. But he's very happy that I'm writing these writing finally because, you know, I paid to take writing classes at one point. Well, actually, we paid for me to take writing classes at one point. And again, it was something that I just didn't stick with. And you know, he's just really happy that I've actually finished um, a couple of books. So, and then my my parents have been great. They've you know read over my work and gave me suggestions and. And you know, families—they'll tell you the truth. They'll tell you, "Yeah, I don't like this part," or "Yeah, I really like that." So it's good. It's good. I've heard a lot of authors—you um, know—they don't really get a lot of support from their families, and I think that's yeah, really perfect. sad because I don't know how I would how I would write without the support of mine. I, I just don't see how I would get that done.
0: Yeah, I, and I agree with you. I agree with you there. Of course, it, it did take a long time for uh, Ashley. You, actually damn, you should damnn answer to do it, but you know once we do it um and once we get our first book underneath us we we really want to do more, so that's uh that's what happens when you're a fiction author, yep. you get bitten, you get bitten by the love bug when it comes to writing, so what was the I most guess surprising... so. oh sorry, I what I guess the... so. oh yes okay, <laughs> uh, what was the most surprising thing that you learned while creating your first book?
2: You know, it, it's, that's a good question because the most surprising thing that I learned was I thought I was just writing a make-believe story. It had nothing to do with me or my life. It was all made up. And about the time I got to the end of book two, I realized that the larger theme of the book had a direct bearing on a very important part of my life. And it's like it came out of my subconscious onto the page I didn't expect it. I didn't even necessarily want it.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, but it really gave the book some some additional meek on its bones, yeah. I guess
1: uh-huh.
2: is the best way to put that. But it was a surprise because I wasn't writing it for that. I was writing it as a totally made up make believe um, with a little bit of historical fact thrown in, and to find out that this came from you know my heart of hearts and my deepest thoughts that i wasn't even aware of when i wrote it that was very surprising to me that just the act of writing can do that
0: that's funny how that works isn't it
2: it was it was (laughs) inspiring how it worked it was that's part of i guess why you get addicted to it because you're like wow (laughs) you know how did that happen i didn't mean for that to happen
0: right Uh, i find that the bad guy in the story now you're you're your bad guy, you go. Oh man, where where in the world did that person come from? Or a bad girl, depending on your story, of course. Right. And, and you write them in such a way, and you go, man, where did that come from? Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. The the dark deep dark part of you that you didn't know was there.
2: Yes, it is, and it's and it's an exciting thing to to discover and and the kind of to put to paper it really was exciting
0: so tell us a little about your novel itself i mean it's an adventure i know that i mean i do i know a little bit about it but i want everybody else to hear about what the story is about oh okay
2: well the minstrel's tale is actually a trilogy book one came out in may and book two comes out december 18th and then book three will be out next um by next summer and basically, it's the story of a young girl from Phoenix, about 14 years old, who flies to France and finds the journals of an ancestor of hers from the 1300s and this ancestral ancestor was a minstrel and basically the minstrels the minstrel's character was based on a character in Robert Jordan's novel, The Glee Man. I just fell in love with the Glee man. he wasn't a big character in, in Robert Jordan's Um, First book, I don't know about the rest of them because I only read the first one. But his patched cloak filled with pockets just struck me somehow. So I I used the minstrel in in medieval England and medieval France. Well, this minstrel meets a young boy who's running from someone who's trying to kill him and takes pity on the young boy and, of course, makes him his apprentice. And they go, they're going from France to England to try to get... Richard, the apprentice, to his his mother, because his father's been killed. And on, along the way, they're telling all these fairy tale stories, and they run into some adventure, and and you know lots of things happen along the way. And then when you get to England, when you get to England and you find out you know who Richard really is, then you go on into book two, which is a little bit more of the history of because Richard is actually a real person who lived. And then book three is even more exciting because book three is a is a more of a a different character is telling the story, and it's more of a Tom Sawyerish kind of character who's in book three. So each one of the books is a very different type story from each other, mm. even though it's all one story. Like I said, it is stories within stories within stories, and that's how one of my readers described it, and that was a good description of it.
1: Awesome.
0: Okay, so when you sat down and wrote your first part of the trilogy, did you
2: already have outlined for all three of them? Oh, yes, yes. I had um, the outlines all finished, and the books, all three books I wrote at one time, and just like if it was one big book. But since I wrote it for um, an audience of 10-year-olds, I thought, well, I should break this down a little bit and make it into three three different books. Because, you know, a big, thick book can be a little intimidating to, to a younger reader. It
0: can be intimidating to anybody.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But then th- by the time I started rewriting book two, things had changed so much that book three had to be totally rewritten. So I do plot out everything that I write, but it's a very fluid plotting process and it does change because the characters seem to take on a life of their own. Um, the one little character, Anna Questerly, who is you know, I'm writing first person from her point of view in the beginning of the book was only going to be a device to find the journals. That's all she was meant to be. Well, by the end of book one, I really like this chick. and And I'm, um, you know, in book two, she she takes on a, a larger role, and in book three, she takes on an even larger role and becomes more of a character than I had thought she would be. So, <laughs> yeah, books two and three were totally rewritten because of some changes in book one. And yeah. not just with Anna, but with Amos and with Richard as well.
0: Yeah, that's the interesting thing about the writing process, uh, especially fiction fiction authors, uh, that if the the character starts to take over and winds up changing the story because that's not the direction that they're taking you.
2: Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> very strange. It's a very strange feeling that, you know, your characters are doing other things than what you planned for them to do, just kind of like your kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Even though they're inside your head, you still don't uh, sometimes get surprised. Um uh, when something happens, or some realization that you have about your characters that you didn't, that you hadn't really written down, so exactly, yeah, it's just fun to have that happen. Um, do you have anything written that you can uh, share
2: with us? Um, I do. Let me just go grab grab a copy. I can start you with. Um, how about a poem, like the pirate poem? Okay. It's
0: a little long, though. That's fine. Time that? We've got 31 minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, hold on one second. Let me find it. I am also letting everybody know that on the chat, I'm adding your, I had already added your um, Anna page Facebook page as well as Dog Gear pages. Oh, thank you and I'll be adding, as I do this, I, I always add things for people so that way they can find you guys. I'll um, we'll be putting up the website as well. Thank you, Patty. I appreciate that. Oh, that's great.
2: Okay, well, here's uh, one of the poems, and this is from book two. Awesome. Uh, Captain Jonathan Dunn was a pirate king with a black leather hat and a gold earring. His hair was long and black as night. His hard eyes alone would give men a fright. His ship was fast, his crew first-rate, pity the sailors who found their fate, to be joined to a pirate so dreadful and vile, he'd plunder their gold, then kill with a smile. His ship, the Black Wolf, was riding too low, her hold filled with treasure, her helm too slow. They made for their hideout with all due haste, a mysterious island where their camp was based. An island most ships avoided, for he had been said to be filled with the ghosts of those who were dead. But Captain Jonathan Dunn knew no such fear. It was well to his liking that none get too near. His treasure was safe with the island's ghost. The dead don't spend gold, Dunn often would boast. It took a full day to unload their ill-gotten gain and bury it deep within the island's terrain. The pirates by now had amassed so much gold, they could live like kings till they all grew quite old. But it wasn't enough and Dunn would not quit. He still craved more gold, in fact, all of it. His cowed crew was loyal almost to a man, but there was one aboard who had a new plan. The first mate, Nye, wanted no more of the slaying. Nye once tried to leave, but Dunn said he'd be staying. For Dunn allowed none to leave his employ, from the old crippled cook to his young cabin boy. Nye hoped the crew would soon be following him, but knew if he failed, his future was grim. He waited till one night when Dunn was asleep, and into Dunn's heart plunged his dagger so deep. Dunn awoke at once in startled surprise when he saw the firm set of his first mate's eyes. Nye almost panicked when Dunn's hand grabbed his own, but he shoved hard on the dagger till he felt it strike bone. Dunn's hand fell away, his breath shallow and ragged. Nye pulled out his dagger from the wound deep and jagged. Dunn whispered to Nye with the last of his breath, You'll get none of that treasure, it's mine even in death. With the captain near dead, Nye grew quite bold, and answered, Remember, the dead don't spend gold. The crew was relieved as Nye gave the news, for down to a man they were now free to choose. They pitched Dunn's cold body over the rail. Nye gave the crew orders to the island they'd sail. They'd gather the gold and escape this grim life. Some swore they'd travel, some take a wife. They were all quite happy as they rowed into shore, but what they saw there they couldn't ignore. Dunn's corpse had washed up upon the wet sand. Even in death he still seemed to command. Some men scurried back to the boat and refused to step onto the island for Dunn's cold eyes accused. But Nye went onward with a few of the brave. They dug up the gold and shoved Dunn in the grave. They carried a chest filled with jewels and with gold and sang a song they made up of Nye the Bold. Suddenly they all dropped their chests with a shout, for before them stood Dunn from his grave he'd crawled out. He pointed at Nye and said, It's wrong what we're told. I'll tell you the truth. Dead men can spend gold. And with that, he threw back his cadaverous head and laughed till the men had all fallen dead. The men in the boat hurried back out to sea as they heard Dunn still laughing with ghoulish glee. You see, the devil will deal with a man who has means, and Dunn's treasure was greater than most kings and queens. But the few who escaped have all stayed away, for Dunn guards his treasure by night and by day. Wow. That's one of I, the poems in there. I love it. Love it. it Thank uh, you.
0: Uh, I love pirates and, and pirate stories. So. Um. Oh, me too. Love the pirates. <laughs> so my best friends are pirates. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. I'm glad you liked it. Let's see. Um, okay. Now, I the question is, I've, I've got your website. Uh, somebody was asking if you have a fan website. Well, I have the, the fan page on Facebook. Right, Anna a question? Uh, yes. Okay. I'll let them know that. Okay. I, I have people who sometimes give me questions on Facebook, so I go back and forth and read it. And a blog, do you have any blog that you um, uh, you write? I do.
2: It's it's. Um, I haven't done a whole lot with it yet, but it is started, and there's actually some interesting clues on there to a secret uh-huh. that's buried in book one. Okay. But the blog is forever fairy tales, Python, forever, dot blogspot dot com.
1: Forever. Mark dot
0: That's fairy and then hyphen and then tails
2: no fairy tales one word and then hyphen
0: forever. Ah, that's why
2: uh. and then it's easy the easiest way to get there is to go to my website and on the home page, there's a link to the blog and to Facebook and to Twitter.
0: There you go, that would be a lot faster, wouldn't it?
2: <laughs> yeah, and the website's just i dot com oh god, downtown on. So, no, um, okay, I'm
0: just a friend of blog, and it, says it can. Do you have any uh, advice for aspiring authors?
2: I do. You know, I'm teaching the classes to the young writers, and their kids are so much fun to teach. And I am just amazed at how creative they are. Um, we're teaching anywhere from 10 years old up to 17 years old. And they have such great ideas, and they're so excited to get them down and, and have someone read them. But I, I have, I believe that there's two things that you need to be a writer and three to be a, a good writer. And the two things that you need, one is what I call a magic book, and that's your journal where you put ideas, whether they are good ideas or not, because that's kind of what gets the, the potions in your brain working. So you come up with an idea or a plot or a character that you can build a story around. And then the second thing is, and this isn't my idea, although I wish it was, I read it in a writing book and I cannot remember who the author was of this book, and I've looked for it several times and cannot find it. But her piece of advice was to get a button chair. If you want to be a writer, you have to have a button chair. And, you know, the kids love that because they're asking, well, what's a button chair? Well, a button chair is a chair that you sit your butt on, and you don't get up until you've written that number of words or written that scene or whatever you want. So in order to be a writer, you need a magic book and a button chair, and that's really all you need. But like I said, there's a third thing you need if you want to be a good writer and that's an editor. Because it's yeah. very difficult to catch all those silly mistakes that you make yourself. And, you know, the story sounds great in your head. It sounds great when you read it because you know what you meant to say. But you really need to have someone else read your work.
0: That's definitely true.
2: hmm
0: Says so any special marketing that you've done? I know that you've you've done some special things, and so, and Tom, tell me about them. So go ahead and share them.
2: Well, yeah, we've done a little bit, and then I decided to call back on the marketing efforts and just keep writing. One of my um, one of my other writer friends said that when she first finished her first book, she spent all this time marketing, 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 and actually didn't get to write her second book for a very long time. So then she decided that she'd rather put together a, list of, a back list of books and have some books to actually market and then go out and do some marketing. And I thought, that's, that's probably a, a smart way to go. So, you know, I put the website up. I put the Facebook up. We, we do some book signings here at the store. And I've done some um, school visits and things like that. And I'm going up to the Cave Creek Library on October 29th. I'll be there for the grand opening of their Friends of the Library store and how's it oh, the, oh we'll they got a new, one, a new one going there. up there? Yeah, they have a new one open, reopening. Oh. And so that's oh. going to be fun. And that's pretty much it. I'm really trying to to not do too much and and make lighting the main focal point of of where my time is spent right now. But I love the school visits. I I probably will never turn them down if they're within driving distance because I I go in a medieval gown and get to meet these, you know, these great kids that you know, they hug you when you walk in. I mean these are anywhere from third graders to, to sixth graders. They hug you when you walk in. They hug you when they when you leave. They tell you how great they love they love your book and they want to see the movie and you're like, I'm never writing for grown ups. This is great
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: This is just great.
0: Yeah, never write for grown ups. That's great.
2: <laughs> yep. Well and that was and that was the other surprising thing that you know, the marketing that I was planning to do was really for kids ages 10 and up. That was the target market I thought I was writing for. Uh-huh. And what I've learned is that it's, it's really very strange. There's, there's schools around here where the teachers are reading my stories, not the whole book, but the fairy tale stories to third graders. Uh-huh. The, the Montessori school in Scottsdale is the third graders are reading the stories to the first graders. Uh-huh. And then most of the fan mail that I get um, through my website is from people who are over 50, and I'm getting a lot of parents that come in the store, and what they like is that they're reading the kid, they're reading the book at the same time that their child's reading it. So they're talking about the book. And it's almost like it's a book the whole family can enjoy, which I really didn't expect that to be that way. Hmm. That's what. So I'm not uh, exactly sure how to market it to yeah. a whole family. So I'm kind of, you know, like I said, backed off on the marketing end of it and just continue writing. But, yeah, it's something that I need to think about because it isn't just for kids from what I'm hearing. Um, there's been several adult book clubs that have have read it and have invited me to speak to them. And it's just very surprising when it's a group of, of grown-ups that like the book. Well, yeah.
0: Some of us never really grow up. <laughs> I know, I know. And I still
2: like to read the young adult books. I do.
0: yeah. Uh, I used an excuse when my son. Uh, he was in middle school, and uh, Harry Potter's series came out. And I was curious why a nine-year-old would actually want to take out, you know, Goblet of Fire. I, I mean, it's a huge right. book. <laughs> it's a huge book, yes. <laughs> I said, okay, something got to be to this. So uh, I started reading it with him, the whole series. And uh, I used that as an excuse, you know. But uh, right. I wound up yeah reading it so fast, and he's like, "Well, how are you reading that so fast?" Well, because you just sit down and you, uh, once you get into it, uh, it you just keep going, and um, yep, you can't even stop. <laughs> you Can't stop. So and you know, I always said I always wanted to aspire to be uh, an author that somebody would take my book to the bathroom with them.
2: Yes, that would be good. That would be good. <laughs> you can't put it down long enough. That, that would be yeah. a good benchmark. Right. <laughs> I never thought of that. That's a good one. Because <laughs>
0: that's what I do with other other people's books that I can't put down. I take them in the bathroom with me. Feel every little moment I can, you know, find <laughs> <Yes. laughs> so myself to read that book. But uh, that's great. So, yeah, special marketing. I know that you had numbered your books. Tom was telling me about that.
2: He did. Yeah, he numbered the first 200 books. And we made them a special edition, which I thought, that's that's neat. You know, that's kind of a, a, a thing that is different. And I just thought that was a, a very forward-thinking idea on his part, because he thinks that when I get, you know, very famous and, and everybody's reading my books, you know, 100 years from now, that those are going to be so valuable. So I just thought, oh, how much faith he has in me. I love him.
0: <laughs> never know. You never know. I mean, we you know, who would have thought that... Uh, the Hobbit would be such a big success. I don't think he did exactly. And you never know.
2: You never know which books are are going to just take off and go, and and which aren't. And you know, it's funny because I I have been reading all my life, and I have a bookstore, and I see people come in all the time. And there are people in this world who don't like The Hobbit. And there are people in this world who don't like Mark Twain or Stephen King, and I'm just like, really? How can you not? But, you know, there's a lot of authors that other people like that I just can't stand to read. So right. everybody's got different tastes, and everybody's got a different reason that they read. And so you never know which book is going to get popular and go crazy. I mean, look at um, The the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo.
0: Yeah.
2: That yeah. one went off the charts. It wasn't expected Pretty much by anybody. And The Shack, you know, The Shack is a great book. It was self published, no publisher would touch it. Yeah. And wow, well, it sold the, a million copies help. within the first year. Yes.
0: The help just suddenly just took off, and you never know. Um, exactly. This, the story about the dog, and then they wound up making it into a movie. I forgot what it was. Uh, anyway, they, they hadn't considered uh, a dog story at that point, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so it wound up being they, they were not going to really put a whole lot of money into it, so they put it out, and it was a it was a hit. And, you know, uh, most of the publishers are still crashing their head most of the time. <laughs> yes, they are.
2: And, you know, it seems like a lot of them, you know, they just put out the same type of book over and over again. You know, if yeah. that's sold, then this one, just like it, will sell. And so I think we kind of get, you know, every once in a while, it's just something fresh and new comes along. And takes off, and you never yeah. know which one it's going to be. So, I think yeah. it was. I think it was smart of him to do that. I think it was exciting that he did it, and I just thank him for having the faith in me to even consider that it might be possible one day.
0: Exactly. Well, the thing is that it's actually a good idea, because um, that's kind of what the direction of a lot of books are going now is are into the uh, collectors type of. Idea with the numbering and and the hardcovers and the special bindings. Right. Um, I'm seeing a few authors who I mean, you know, doing this, and that's why I thought it was interesting that Tom would do that, you know, for your very first book, which is not usually how it's done. But
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it seems to be working because we have a lot of people that have already ordered book two, and they want the same number that they had in book one. Wow. So. Yeah, before book two is even ready to go, the the sales are there for for quite a few of them. And they're insisting, you know, I want to make sure it's the same number. And so that's kind of neat. And, and, you know, maybe they want all three of them and they all want, you know, 101 or 102 or whatever book one they happen to get. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind of helped sales already, I would say. So, yeah, he's a pretty smart man. It's, It's great, though, that you can do
0: that because, I mean, you can't really do that. Yeah, you know, that kind of uh, uh, customer service, so as speak, is, you know, making sure it's the right, the same number they got before. Um, if you were a big pub with a big publisher, that would hardly seem possible. But being a smaller yep. publisher, you can do that.
2: Yeah, and and it's the same with being an independent bookstore. You know, there's a lot of things that you can do as an independent that the big stores can't do, and a lot of the, the same customer service that you can offer as a publisher you're right you're absolutely right
0: that's what's great about uh well indie stores we you know authors have to love them we love we love you guys oh
2: thank (laughs) you well we love you too i love when we do local author days here and and a lot of what i learned about writing and publishing i learned from when we have the local authors come visit the store because you know we will sit here and we'll chat and we'll talk and and You know, where did you publish? How did you do this? What do you do for this marketing? How do you do that? And I get wonderful ideas. And authors, you know, are very talkative about how they do things and what's working and what's not. And stay away from this guy. And, you know, this is a great company to to work with. And, And I was able to learn a whole lot and probably avoid a lot of expensive mistakes just by listening to what the local authors have told me.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Better to do that than, you know, to listen than to not listen and pay for it later. Exactly. I've learned that about printers, where, you know, uh, says I'm a graphic designer by trade, so you go in and talk to the printers. They're more than happy to tell you how to set th- things up. Cause you just got to listen to them.
2: Yeah, let's oppose to their job.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's my big question for the night for you. Oh, okay. Okay, so it's my special question that I ask people at the end of their, uh, their interview. And now that you have successfully slain the dragon, how will you celebrate?
2: Oh, that is a great question.
0: It really does say a lot about a person and how they answer
2: it. It does. Um, let me think about that for a second. The, the first thing that comes to mind is getting right to work on the next series. Like I said, it is it is addicting and Half of my mind is spinning with the new book ideas that I have, and I really want to get them down. So that's a large part of it. But I'm really, I don't know. We got our first royalty checks the other day. Oh,
1: yeah.
2: And we were going to go to dinner, and something came up, so we haven't done that yet. There you go. I don't know. Other than getting back, what does that say about me? I'm a workaholic. Other than getting back <laughs> to work.
1: <laughs> well,
2: see this is interesting. This is really
0: interesting because here you are a fantasy writer. hmm And yet you gave me a business answer.
2: But you know it isn't. It's, it's it, it you know you write, Patty. So you know when you're when you're having fun with what you're doing, it's not work. It is I mean, it's just fun, fun. and and as much as I love reading fantasy, as much as I enjoy reading it and escaping into those worlds, building those worlds Mm -hmm. is so much more fun. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it really is. And so, I have just like I said, I have so many thoughts spinning around in my head for the next series, and. And it's it's hard to not get right to work on them. I keep jotting them down and writing them down, and it's in my magic book, and, you know, yeah. I'm keeping the notes. And But I really want to get to work on it and sink my teeth into it. I, I, I almost can't wait. And yet I still have to wait a little bit because there's still some work on book three that needs to be done yet.
0: Yeah, I know. It's hard, isn't it? <laughs> so I've got book four I'm working on final edits for, but it's like I've got this new series, and it's like, oh. I, I I wanna you know, I'm I'm working on a little bit at a time, but I really just wanna get right into it and do it. But I know what yeah. you're talking about. You're excited about this new venture and this uh, these new characters that you've never met
2: before. Exactly. And, and and it's not, you know, when you do something that you really truly enjoy, it's it's just not work. It's not business. It just can't be.
0: <laughs> you're absolutely right. But-
2: I see incorrect but yes, yeah, it would be it would be nice to at least get a bottle of champagne or something and celebrate. Never even thought about it. But you know, for my so I my family did take care of me for the for the um release of book one. My mm-hmm. daughter came in from LA and she was very, very busy and I did not expect her to come. So that was a nice surprise. She surprised me in the middle of the night, the night before my release party. And then my son and his girlfriend came up from Tempe. Mm-hmm. Tom had a cake made that looked like the cover of my book. Wow. And then they, they brought me flowers, and they had asparagus in the flower arrangement because there's part of my book, there's a joke about asparagus.
1: <laughs>
2: and I just thought that was the sweetest thing, the coolest thing that they could have ever done. And it was just a lot of fun. So we did celebrate. I mean, we had a great dinner. We had breakfast out that morning. And yeah, we did our celebrating.
1: It's great. For book
2: one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Anything else you want to share with people? Because I've got your uh, your blog on here. I've got, I think, everything I can possibly give anybody on on how to find well, you. There,
2: there is one thing. Um, okay. The the deadline is coming up. It's December thirty first. And okay. if anyone has read the Minstrels, the Minstrels Tale Book One, at the end of that book, there's the Minstrels Challenge. And the Minstrels Challenge is for any young writer under eighteen, who wants to submit a fairy tale story that could be told in the fourteenth century, we will look at it and we are going to put a few of the winners in book three. Cool. Yep. So they have the opportunity to, to have their story published with the credit to their name and then they win three um all three books, signed copies of all three books.
0: Where do you find if, that story collected that information? It, it,
2: It's in the back of the book.
0: Okay, so they have to have the back of the book then.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, The reason I was uh,
0: mentioning that was because uh, uh, Todd Van Hooser is a teacher, and uh, that would be great for him. I'm reading his book book
2: right now. (laughs)
1: Yeah,
2: I I just started Todd Van Hooser's book, and I am I am amazed. I am so into it. I'm not. I'm I'm maybe 120 pages into it, but Mm -hmm. the first 10 pages blew me away. I'm like, okay, I'm there. <laughs> I'm really enjoying his book. And he's coming to the store. When is it? November 19th. 19th, 19th November. 19th. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he's already said yes, definitely, and he's looking forward to it. Uh, he's, he's really looking forward to meeting
2: him. Out. Yeah.
0: And he's a great guy. So, and he's got some wonderful characters. we Are hoping that one of the uh one of his characters will will come in with him uh in order to share the world that he's created, so a, that's that's the thing is he gets the kids involved, and that's what's what you know that's what's, what's great about it. Um, you got to get the kids involved, and and you know that very well, yeah. don't you? What grade does he teach? He's actually in high school. He teaches high okay. school, but he teaches great creative writing as well as English. So he's in charge of the English department, which is advantageous considering, <laughs> and uh, he has uh, his own uh game conventions now. Uh, because he has created a game book to go around that book that you're reading right now, Baron Twelve.
2: Oh that's so. right, yes. I saw that. I saw that game book.
1: So And I'm not, really gamer, so that, no, I'm not much
2: of a gamer, so that I'm not much of a gamer. So that part didn't interest me, but the the world he's created is really good. I'm enjoying it.
0: Well believe it or not he, he created the game first and then he wrote the book. Oh he's, interesting. He's writing, uh, he's wrote some smaller ones uh, to go with that one, kind of a, a, you know, smaller stories, a branch off of, you know, the stories that's, you know, the big one. He's working on another one to go with the Baron 12, so that's, that's I think it'll be out by the beginning of the year. So that's great. Now here I did my own little plug.
2: <laughs> yeah, so let him know about the minstrel's challenge so that he um, so he can tell his kids. Because the yeah. deadline, like I said, is December 31st.
0: Exactly. So, uh, and uh, it's coming so up. I want to know. I want to yeah, know that'd lot. be great. So uh, anyway, that's terrific. And I, I really uh, enjoyed your, our talk together and hope that you enjoyed it too. And I'm going to... Okay, I think I have all the information for everybody and nobody else. Let me double check, make sure nobody else has asked me a question. But it looks like I'm done. Do you want to add anything else?
2: No, ma'am. Just thank you very much, Patty. I did enjoy this. This is my first radio interview, so it was fun. <laughs> it was well, fun. I, you made it
0: easy. There you go. What we do is uh this is not only live but it also um after about a half an hour it will go into a recycle mode and you can share it and anybody can listen to it at their leisure, so if they miss okay. part of it, they can listen to it again and uh, that's gonna be the same location that you're that uh but I'll go ahead and send that to you that way um you can share it
2: your great, first, thank you very much, first Patty. video show. <laughs> That's thank what you. Here
0: for. Well, as I've enjoyed it. Thank you very much, and I will see you soon.
2: Okay, you have a great night.
0: You too, thanks. Thanks,
2: bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Well, that was Anna Questerly. And we have, uh, that's a great story. That she, She's got some stories going on there. She's got the first one already done. Uh second one's on its way, and she's already written, obviously written all three of them. It's interesting how she had written all three of them and then, uh, you know, started publishing it. Something I always suggest is that you get the story done first. Uh, if it's a, if it's a series, try to write a big chunk of it and then start looking for a publisher, or publish it yourself because you need to have something out at least twice a year. Uh, once a year if you are in multiples multiple series, but if you have just one series and you need to have at least two books out a year in that series, and the reason is because that way your readers stay, uh, you know, stay with you. Uh, you've got fresh content for them, just just like you know articles on on the internet. You need to have fresh content, and so she had done that first. So she wrote all three, and then she cut it in pieces, and then of course she's publishing one at a time. But uh, she's got two out this year and another one out next year. So. That's how it should be done. So with that, uh, our next show is Saturday. We've got another awesome show with uh, Donald Jocks. And we will be talking about homesteading space again. Except this time he's going to be talking about Mission Zero and why that's important in this whole scheme How are we going to get people into space and is why mission zero is part of that. So that show is going to be this Saturday on the 22nd from 10 in the morning until 1130. So 10 a.m. to 1130. Um, They used to do two hours with them, but you know, he could talk like a whole day on this subject, but I had to cut him down somewhere. (laughs) So we're just going to do an hour and a half. And, uh, if if you want to cut short, that's fine. That I, I think an hour and a half is gotta be enough. So that's be this Saturday, ten AM to eleven thirty, same time, same place or the same place. And anybody who wants to be on for next week should give me an email. Go on Facebook. I am at facebook.com slash PJ, like in Patty Joe. Holstrand. H-U-L-T-S-T-R-A-N-D. That's P-J dot H-U-L-T-S-T-R-A-N-D. That's how to get a hold of me on Facebook. Obviously, we have a couple the websites. Um, almost everything is attached to my Facebook page. You can find uh, all the different places I'm out. But um, some of the books there, uh, all the books that we have online is AZ Publishing Circle. Sur- dot com that's A Z Arizona Publishing Services dot com. There's a bookstore there that you guys can uh, uh, be able to get on there and find the 40 books we have online, including uh, Tom and Todd Van Hooser's book that we just talked about, which is The Baron Twelve. With that, I wish you guys good night and have a pleasant rest of the week. This is Wad Radio and Patty Hillstream signing off. We have a scaring up great stories and Kate Reads on our starving Artist page for Halloween. Please come by and visit the great specials we have on print books with free shipping at www.azpublishingservices.com/specials.html azpublishingservices.com/specials.html Also, to get your fantasy books or other great kind of reads at azpublishingservices.com slash bookstore.php. That's www.azpublishingservices.com slash capital B, book, capital S, store.php. Or go to the website azpublishingservices.com and on the top, find bookstore. Also, you can find me on the internet at on Facebook at facebook.com slash pj. That's Paul Joan at oh no, I'm sorry, pj. Paul Joan. Holtstrand H U L T
1: S T R A N D.